Welcome everyone. I see Eric in person. I know. <laughs> He's a real person. I only had a little Zoom picture of you. And welcome uh, to Christine and Brad and uh, everybody. Thanks for showing up this morning. Uh, thank you for your practice uh, and for sharing your practice together. I know it takes effort. Um, it's actually a, a great gift of generosity for you to show up here. Um, the gift of your presence. And, and sometimes that's hard. Uh, it's hard to give that, especially on a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, so the fact that you're willing to give of your presence and of your attention is deeply appreciated by all of us, and certainly by me. I, uh, the title for today's talk was Disciplined by Miracles. Did you notice that? I'm not sure it has any relevance to what I'm going to say, but I love the phrase. So... It was an opportunity to use it. I think I can, I think I can connect it to what, <laughs> what I'm about to, to speak about. One day, the Buddha was walking through the forest, and one of the monks was asking him a lot of questions about kind of metaphysical issues. Is there a soul? Is there an afterlife? What about God? Lots of, uh, lots of what sounded like religious and spiritual questions. And Buddha picked up a handful of leaves and he said, how do these leaves compare this handful of leaves, to all the leaves in the forest. And the monk said, just very few relative to all the other endless numbers of leaves. And Buddha replied, this is the same as teachings. I am offering you this handful of teachings. It's not all the teachings, all the leaves in the forest. Uh, it's just this handful that you need. This is what we call skillful means. That is, Buddha offered teachings that really were kind of accessible. They're not that complicated. They're just a kind of handful of things uh, that we need to know. And they're, they're teachings that we can know. They're not teachings that are beyond our comprehension, by, beyond our insight. Buddha never taught anything that it's impossible for a human being to know. If he was all about the relief of suffering, of human suffering, and actually of the suffering of all beings, the teachings needed to be practical. They needed to be accessible. And so 
there's so many questions and so many teachings that are possible in our practice. But when we give a Dharma talk, at least in my experience, it's, okay, what handful of, what handful of leaves do I gather for the Sangha this Sunday? What, what handful of teachings uh, are to be offered to you? The past couple of weeks, and perhaps in the coming weeks, we've reached for some teachings that may not be the, the totally accessible teachings, uh, the easy teachings. We've been talking about the Heart Sutra. And there are many levels at which the Buddha taught. Most of us are in the beginning stages of our practice. And so we need a handful of leaves that are going to be relevant to our lives and to our pra- where our practice is. But for the past couple of weeks, we've been kind of reaching for some of those leaves that, that maybe are not so obviously relevant. To give you a taste of what some of those leaves that we haven't scooped up to offer, to give a taste of what some of maybe the deeper teachings are. For example, if you have a pain in your lower back, let's say, you could reach for a pill, a painkiller, to deal with that pain. That would give you instant relief. And often that's, that's what we do. Ouch, um, I better take something. Um, and so yes, it works. Um, however, you might notice that that painkiller only works temporarily, that the pain comes back. And so you might decide, okay, I'm going to do something a little more sustainable. And maybe you go to a chiropractor, and the chiropractor gives you an adjustment. So it's not, it's not just an instantaneous, symptomatic relief. You're actually going for something a little deeper, some kind of adjustment to your body, which maybe will, not, will make it unnecessary for you to reach for that painkiller that is only temporary. But you also might find that you have to keep going back to the chiropractor for continual adjustments. And so you may decide that you want to look more deeply into maybe human anatomy and maybe things that you could do yourself, like take yoga or tai chi or maybe even adjust your diet. Um, things that you could do that you're not reliant on anybody else to do by researching 
what's going on in your body so that you can actually heal whatever pain you're in. So what I'm getting at here is that in the teachings, some people come just to sit here for stress relief for 20 minutes, uh, and you get a temporary (laughs) respite from your crazy life. But then you go back and, yeah, life is crazy again, and then you come back. On Sunday, or maybe you have you come on Wednesday evenings and have a half an hour of sitting, and it's it's sort of like taking a painkiller, or maybe going to the chiropractor and getting a more regular adjustment of your your mind. But then there is a deeper understanding that you. Uh, you don't, for example, with, with the lower back pain, you might not go so far as learning about thermo, thermodynamics, which is, or physics, which is really the fundamental basis for the way the body works. You may not have to go that far in studying uh, physics in order to deal with your back pain. But it might help. It might help give you a deeper understanding of how this this works. So, the Heart Sutra, what we have recited today, is kind of on the level of thermodynamics in terms of our practice. It's the deepest teaching. That's why it's called the heart, Prajnaparamita, the heart sutra. It's the heart of the teaching. It's the very basic, very deepest level. And so we're offering a little taste of the deepest level of practice. One of the deepest of the deepest levels is this claim, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. You've probably heard that, those, those phrases, that's, those sentences. Form is only emptiness, emptiness is only form. That is the deepest of the deepest. And of course, it's going to take a lifetime to really penetrate that, that deepest of teachings. But we'll give it a try. We'll give it, we'll, we'll, we'll take a couple steps. When you hear that emptiness, form is emptiness, it's not the kind of most attractive concept for a spiritual path. I mean, it's not like in Christianity you get faith and hope and charity. In Buddhism you get emptiness. That is not the most appealing. First of all, it's hard to understand. 
And secondly, what, what does that mean? Form is emptiness. That's the core. So let's look just initially at form. What is form? It's very simply, it's this. This, this shape, this perceived shape being. And it looks like, yeah, this, this, I see individual forms and you see individual forms. <clears throat> so sometimes it's considered a um, physical form is a physical being. It's what we see as with our eyes, what we see, what we perceive. But it also includes all the other what we call skandhas or aggregates of human being. Feeling, thought, choice, and even consciousness. So it's this, this thing here, this perceived I don't even call it an entity because we'll learn that it's really not an entity, but we call it an entity, this, this thing. Well, the teaching says form is empty. This is empty. Well, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, clearly, this is. What could it mean to say that this is empty? Certainly it couldn't mean that it doesn't exist, that it's empty of existence, because clearly it, it's not empty in that sense. It's not empty of existence. It does exist. So... It's not that I'm nothing. I'm definitely something. But I'm not some thing. I am no thing. So I am empty of thingness. So it's a question of, yes, I exist. But how do I exist? According to our practice, we don't exist as a substantive thing, as a, as a being that is permanent, that is substantive, that is something that, um, that endures. So we're empty. We're empty of thingness. That's why we say we're no thing. We're nothing. We're no thing. Thing. As we think, oh yeah, this, I'm definitely a thing. You know, this seems so antithetical to saying that I'm empty of thingness because I certainly experience myself as an enduring being. Me. I. It might be helpful when we discover that this thing that we call me or I is clearly not permanent. 
And I'm going to suggest I had a kind of insight, see as it might seem, that it might be helpful instead of saying form is emptiness, to say form is emptying, that is to use the verb. It might be helpful to think about it this way. Form is emptying. And emptiness is forming. Okay, let's give some examples. Some suggestions, some suggestive examples. When you're watching a movie, for instance, you're watching a movie or something on television, and you're really into it, these, these figures on the screen, look, they're real. You're, you're believing, believing what you're seeing. These are real people. And that at some point, something happens with the screen and, and it begins breaking up. That what you thought was real, those people, now suddenly just become dots on a screen. There's a lot of, they fall apart. And you realize, oh, I'm just watching, I'm just watching a projection on a screen. These people aren't real. They're falling apart. I believed this, but now I see that it's just a construction made out of dots and you know, on a screen. So this is a belief that suddenly something is real, something that you believed in now suddenly falls apart. When you get to be my age, you tend to have lots of photographs of your life. And I have looked at myself as a baby, as a toddler, as a little girl, as an adolescent, as a, as a young mother, as an old mother. And I look at all these photographs and I think, is, is that me? You know, who is, who is that little, and who is that? And who is that? And who is that? How does all that hang together? These are all sort of discontinuous. I don't, I don't see any connection between that little thing in a carriage and this. So who is, you know, it's that same question. Who is, who is this thing that I think I am, right? I do this, you know, with my mother, who is absolutely a beautiful woman. She was, she, she was on her way to be Miss, being Miss America. She had this. She was stunningly beautiful, and I have a picture of her uh, at her wedding, and comparing it to her age at ninety-two, when she was on her way. Out of, out of this world. Is that the same woman? This 
beautiful creature who now is just really just skin and bones. So what does it mean to say that my form is not empty of permanence or of substance? Where is the substance here that connects everything? Sometimes you can get an inkling of this emptiness that you are. The first thing that, how you feel when you get up in the morning. Who are you when you get up in the morning? I know that sometimes if I'm aware of my quote-unquote, self, as I just get out of bed. It's like this very um, unsubstantiated individual. It's like, I don't quite know who I am yet. (laughs) Until I go into the bathroom and look, oh, good morning, (laughs) Maida. But as I'm getting out of bed, it's, who is this? Who, it's, it's like you're not yet formed. Not yet formed. You're, you're kind of empty of form. Similarly, when I get up in the middle of the night and stumble to the bathroom, <laughs> so who am I then? You know, I'm equally unformed. <laughs> so in a way, when we, when we go to bed, We could say we're taking off our clothes. I think most of us don't sleep in our clothes, right? In our our uniforms. So we kind of, we're emptying. We're emptying ourselves. Some of us sleep in the nude, you know, so we're really naked. It's that's emptying. So we leave all of that form that we have established during the day and we empty ourselves and we go to bed and we sleep. In that sleep we have emptied ourselves so that we can awaken the next morning to be who? We don't know. We're empty. We then start putting on our stuff and start forming, forming ourselves again, right? I'm a student, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a whatever it is, gardener, whatever it is we start forming out of that emptiness. So one might ask, if you think of yourself as a solid form, when do you become you? At what point do you become you in the course of your forming? When are you born? When do you cease to be you? 
can you notice, can you, can you point to a moment in all of your activity when you feel, okay, this is me. And then, oh, this is no longer me. It's something worth, if you, if you want to understand these deepest teachings, these are the kinds of questions that we'll be asking. <clears throat> so let's say we, we do get some sense of what this teaching is, that almost like uh, uh, the moment you buy a new car, it starts depreciating. As soon as you're born, you start depreciating. <laughs> right? You start changing. You're moving. There's, there's, and this is, by the way, again, a very deep teaching, just a taste. You don't have to understand it. I don't. Um, there's a term in, in uh, relative to Buddha, Buddha, we call Buddha Tathagata, which means thus come, thus go. And we're all this. We're all Buddhas. We're all Tathagatas. We form, we come out of emptiness, and we return to emptiness. Thus come, thus go. And we're constantly coming and going. All the time. We're coming out of emptiness and we're, and, and we're emptying out of form. This is what we mean by impermanence. There is no stopping. This is me now. No stopping. In fact, I think... I think there's a myth, or I don't know whether it's uh, true or not, about the Amish, that they do, they do not like to have their photograph taken. And there is a myth about this, that they feel that if you take their photograph, you are freezing their soul. They're stopping and saying, this is you. And that's not their understanding. So we, we try to fix, to freeze ourselves. This is me, this is me, this is me. But we discover that there is no such thing. It's just a constant emptying, a constant change, a constant impermanence. So why, why is this teaching important? this teaching about form being empty and empty, emptiness being form. How does it affect our back pain? You know, how does it affect our everyday life? If we really understand and perceive this for ourselves, not just hearing the Dharma talk about it, but being spurred to investigate based on this Leaf, couple of leaves that I'm picking out of these infinite number of 
leaves in the forest if we take and want to examine it. How does it affect us? How does it help relieve our suffering? If we understand that this being is always coming and going, and all beings are always coming and going, we cannot freeze anything. We are less likely, maybe, to try to grasp, to try to hold on to things, to hold on to ourselves as I am this kind of being, you are this kind of being, my career is permanent, my partner is permanent, my relationship with my child is permanent. This is the way it is. We're less likely to hold because it's like trying to hold water. And we know this. We know this. We know that this is just a flow, emptying and forming, and emptying and forming, and emptying and forming, and we cannot hold on. And so when change is inevitable, inevitable, we are less likely to experience it as an existential threat. You know, somehow my very existence is at stake because my career has changed, because my relationship has changed to to somebody I love and care about. because my circumstances have changed. We are less likely to suffer because we're trying to hold on to things, to hold on to ourselves as something unchanging. We're less likely to feel frustrated because we can't hold on to it. Less likely to be resistant. (laughs) No, I don't want this to change. We're much more likely to go with it because we understand this deep teaching. Not only understand it up here, but see it, watch it. That's one of the beauties of living in the woods. You're seeing it constantly, whereas when you're sometimes living in a humanly constructed world all the time, everything seems so firm, you know, unshakable, like the Twin Towers, right? Unshakable, permanent. And even that, boom, you know, nothing is permanent. So to understand this deeply is to be liberated from grasping, from resistance, from frustration, from wishing that things were different, that they were, that, I, that I'm, I'm still the woman I was when I was 20. No, I'm wishing for that. <laughs> oh, I don't, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs>
now I'm thinking that if truly all things are empty, empty of solidity, empty of permanence, empty of stability, then anything is possible. Miracles are possible. Things that we can't even conceive of. Because nothing is, is final. Nothing is predictable. Because everything is just flowing. And so if everything is just flowing and nothing is predictable, ultimately, miracles are possible. Anything's possible. Right? So that's a kind of discipline. I mean, prior to the miracle, we could say change is possible. That if we think we're stuck, as Taishan talked about last week, we're not stuck. We might feel stuck, but because of emptiness, changes, we can grow up. We're not going to be big babies, you know. Growing up doesn't mean being big babies. We can actually change. We can transform because nothing is solid, permanent, uh, and, and unchanging. So, I discovered this personally during an extended retreat, Rohatsu uh, Sashin, at um, Endless Mountain Zendo. And I was determined during that longest retreat of the year to discover the real me. The real, real, real. Who really are you, Mado? Let's get, let's get really honest. Let's get really honest with yourself. And I was determined for that retreat to keep asking myself, Nato, who are you really? Honestly. <laughs> I couldn't do it. All I discovered, I mean, look, is this me? Well, how, I don't know. Is, is this me? Uh, I feel sometimes I'm dishonest. Sometimes I'm honest. Sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm insistent and stubborn. Uh, and every time I looked, I found another part of me, so to speak. <laughs> and most of the time, I just found myself looking for me. Who am I now? I'm, the, I'm looking. I'm just looking. I haven't found anything. I'm just looking. And it was always, is this it? Is this it? Is, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And by the end of the retreat, it was like, you know, maybe there really is no real me. And when I came 
to that observation and that possibility, I felt liberated. There is no real me. I just am possible. I mean, impossible. But I'm just full of possibilities. I'm not stuck in any one one being. I'm free to be me. Now and 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 just and so are you. So I'm not sticking you in a box either. So I'm not surprised when you surprise me. I didn't think you were like that. Yeah, I'm like that. Now I'm not like that. And be with it. So in some sense, this emptiness is such a profound liberation. We, talk, we call our path the path of liberation. And the, and the teaching of form being empty is the path of liberation. It's all things are empty of permanence, of permanent nature. And thus, miracles are possible. Our life can change. People can change. Animals can change. And we're not overwhelmed by it. We're not afraid of it. We're not resistant to it. We celebrate it. Wow, you're new. You get out of bed and you're a new person. Isn't that fantastic? Thank you.